everybody. Welcome to Redemption Church. Glad to see you this morning. Uh, for most of this year, we've been in the book of Acts. Last week, we took just a quick uh, pause uh, and, and, and kind of revisited Matthew for a little bit. But this week, we're going to pick back up in uh, Acts chapter 21. Uh, we were, we're kind of been doing a lot of like whole chapters at a time, but this morning, we're just going to like take just the first part of this, uh, verses 1 through 14, and then next week, we're going to cover a whole bunch of ground because there's like a lot of things that happen all at one time. But if you would, turn to Acts chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. And I'll read it for us and you can read along. Acts 21, 1 through 14, it says this. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. And when our days there were ended, we departed and we went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at uh, Ptolemais. And we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. And on the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and he bound it on his own feet and his own hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Would you pray with me? Our Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for gathering us together uh, to, to hear the gospel, to hear the good news, to remind each other of the good news of Jesus Christ, and to worship you. Lord, I pray that you would just make yourself known to us, that you would remind us of how good you are, Lord, and how much you love us. Remind us of the good news of Jesus Christ that proves how good you are. Because you sent your only son for us to die and to rise again. You've forgiven our sins. You've set us free, Lord. I pray, Lord, this morning that uh, whatever we say and whatever we sing, uh, that, that whatever you want said to each one of us would be said and that our hearts would hear you, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know how many of you are into Christian hip-hop, but I kind of like some of it. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar, Show Baraka, Christian hip-hop artist, on one of his latest albums, The Narrative, it's a couple years old now, uh, he has a hook and it, it goes like this, I'm not going to rap for you, so. <laughs> uh, his hook says this, if God ain't good, I must have missed something. If God ain't good, I must have missed something. If I'm what's good, I must have missed something. 
And that reminds me of like back in the day at my old church, uh, Baptist church, grew up there, met Claire there, uh, got married there. Uh, the preacher would get up, one of the pastors that we had there, would get up every Sunday and he'd get up in there and he would just say, God is good. Maybe you know how this goes. All the time, right? And you got to say it kind of like you say y'all, but when you say all, you know, like all the time, like that. Uh, so we're going to try that again. God is good. And then he would say, all the time. Right. One more time, because we're going to have to do this throughout the thing. You just got to get on board, okay? God is good. All the time. Okay, now if you hear me say God is good, uh, let's, let's go with it throughout the whole thing, okay? Here's why. I, I do want us to do that. I want you to help me through it, with it through the morning, and here's why. It's because I think... Like that we're all tempted to believe all kinds of different lies from the enemy. Like we have an adversary, the, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion, we read in 1 Peter not too long ago, right? And we're tempted to believe all kinds of lies from our enemy. Like, and there's one particularly dangerous lie that I think we all hear from time to time, or pretty much all the time, and it's that God is just using us, right? God's just using you. He's distant. You're expendable. He's not good. He's out for himself. He's out for what's best for God, not what's best for you. And he might, the enemy will say it a little more subtly so that you believe it, but that's the lie, right? It's much like what Satan, the serpent, was spewing in the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve. It's that lie. And so when we're asked to like give something up or to sacrifice or to put something aside or to submit all of life to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ, and we have to put something aside, like we tend to maybe kind of feel like, we're, we get, and we ask the question, like, is it all just sacrifice on my part, God? Is it all just sacrifice on my part to advance God's mission to the end of the earth? Is, it, is obeying the Great Commission like just all like loss and misery for me? Is God really good? Or is he just out for himself? Oh, man, you picked it out where it's not supposed to be. That's not, that's not good. Uh, because that lie is so prevalent and so dangerous, and it's hard to catch, we need like this, a hook that plays in our head, right? We need something to remind us of the gospel and the truth that God is good and all the time. Like it might seem cheesy to do that all morning, I know, but we're going to do it anyways and you're going to enjoy it, okay? But I know that we ask that question, like we may feel sometimes that it's all sacrifice on our part, right, for God uh, to... to to reach the ends of the earth, for God to accomplish God's mission. But we spent the better part of a year now uh, to, in Acts. And as we've gone through Acts, uh, after seeing how like, God has moved through the early church and how God advanced the good news and the saving news of Jesus Christ to Gentiles, to the ends of the earth, all over the place, people who would have never heard of Jesus. And he did it through people like Paul and like Peter and like through death like Stephen's martyrdom, right? And we see that he, through those people and through those, uh, these different events we've looked at, God is taking the saving news of Jesus Christ to people and calling them out of captivity and setting them free. I think that as we've looked through all of that, that when we hear the lie that God's not good and he's only out for his mission, we see that his mission is all about reaching people, right? So we've got to step back 
And we've got to echo, like, show Baraka's hook. Like, if God ain't good, I must have missed something. If, if I'm what's good, I must have missed something. It's a good reminder. And here in Acts 21, uh, 1 through 14, I think we see that those with Paul had similar feelings, right? Like, they've, they've got to be feeling it. Like, is it all sacrifice? You have to lose, you have to go into captivity, we have to lose our friend, you have to go? Is it all sacrifice? Like after Agabus prophesies about the suffering that awaits Paul in Jerusalem, listen to how the, present, uh, the people that are present with Paul react in, in, in verse 12, 21 12. He said, when we heard this, Luke is there, he's part of these people, when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. And the people in the town before that urged him not to go. And if you remember a couple weeks ago when we were in the chapter before that, he kept hearing from the Spirit what awaits him, and people were urging him not to go. Certainly the mission doesn't require all sacrifice on our part, right? Like that's, you got to get that feeling that his, his friends are feeling that, that we feel that. But I love like this whole scene, this whole exchange. Really the last couple chapters, how like you see the church and the people of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, like bringing in each other, opening their doors, opening their homes, feeding one another, living life together, right? And all so that they can like open up and be genuine and truthful about what they're really feeling, about the tensions they really struggle with, and they seek Christ together, right? It's really beautiful how it's playing out here. We really see the church striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, as Paul says in Philippians 1.27, to do. And Paul and his friends at this point have come up against a real tension. They have, and they got to work through this tension together, right? The tension's been mounting, like I said, from the chapter before last. Paul's heading to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. But also, people are telling him, by the Spirit, the Scripture says, what awaits him. And so these two things almost seem like they're at odds, like they don't match up, like the Spirit's contradicting or playing some sort of game. So there's a tension. Paul feels compelled to go by the Spirit. His friends are afraid to lose him. And I think Paul feels that fear too. I think he feels the brokenness too because he responds in in verse 14. It says, then Paul answered, let's see, what did they say? They said, when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? Man, that's genuine. But what we see happening is not the Spirit contradicting himself at all. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, but that's not what we see happen. Rather, we see that he's both. He's given Paul warnings about what awaits him in Jerusalem, and he's called Paul to go to Jerusalem, right? He's given Paul warnings, and he's called him. It's much like Jesus. You remember, like, before Jesus went up to Jerusalem, before the Passion Week, he knew what was coming. He foretold it to the disciples. And yet, while he knew and was warning everybody about the dangers there, he was warning them also. And he was also being called to go, right? Nevertheless, it's like Jesus. He's both warned and called. But the tension's there and the questions are welling up in the people are welling up in the brothers and sisters of Christ and are trying to persuade Paul not to go, right? But Paul's seen too much. Like, he's been through a lot already in Acts that we've seen. He's seen too much. He was there with Stephen in the beginning. 
And he believes that come what may, you ready? God is good. And all the time. He's good to Paul. God's good to you. God's good to, to me. God's good to us. And God is good to the whole world. Like we're often short-sighted. I think Paul gets this, right? He gets that God's good to you, good to me, good to Paul, good to us, good to the whole world. And we are often short-sighted. But that God has like a long view and he has the whole view and he has a much bigger, broader, better perspective and that he's proven that he's good. And he is good. And I've found Acts to be like, as we've gone through it, man, like we, we don't have time to cover Acts. Right? I, I talked to Reggie about it the other day. I was like, we could just spend four or five years in Acts and we could just try to get everything. We still wouldn't get it all out of there. But I found it to be just an incredibly rich story. It's just incredibly rich scriptures. And we've we got to narrow it each week and it's hard. But there's so much to read from it. I hope that you guys are like reading it on your own, maybe even diving into that together and DNAs and whatever, but, but one thing that we haven't got to talk about, but I keep seeing, and I keep scratching out of sermons like every week that I preach, because I just don't have room for it, is how Luke seems to intentionally show how the stories of Stephen and Paul mirror that and point back to Jesus. He's been doing it all the way through the book. Like I said, even where Paul is getting the warning about what awaits him in Jerusalem and also being called to go to Jerusalem that mirrors and points back to the story of Jesus. There's some other similarities. Just take a look at this. Accusations from the Jews. Like that's what gets all of them in trouble, right? Jesus, Stephen, and Paul, actually in the second half of this chapter, which we'll really cover next week, but things kind of go bad for him when he gets to Jerusalem. Shocking, because he's been warned and told by the Spirit. Uh, it's, an ac- it's accusations from the Jews, right? His own people. It's accusations that he's speaking against their laws and their ways and their heritage. It's accusations about him speaking out against the temple. Of trying to subvert the law and lead others to do the same thing. All of them are accused for those types of things. Secondly, there's another similarity. There's a lot of them. We can't, we're not going to go into all of them. The proximity to the temple of these stories like the temple itself played out in each one of these stories of the suffering, of being uh, as they face persecution in Jerusalem. Like Jesus went up to the temple when he arrived, and he started flipping over tables, right? But we know he's just cleaning it up. He's like cleaning the place, getting rid of everything that was desecrating the place of worship. Stephen was near the temple gates when he starts telling his brothers, his Jewish brothers, uh, about how Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of all their history and all that was promised to them. Paul was at the temple here in chapter 21 when he goes to Jerusalem and gets dragged into the outer courts and beaten and nearly uh, beaten to death. Another thing that's similar is their persecution. Jesus was bound, he was beaten, and he was bruised. He was hung on a cross to die. And when he's on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they've done or what they do. Stephen says something very similar when he's being stoned, dragged out of the city, stoned. Paul's been stoned like Stephen. He's been dragged out of the city and stoned. And here he's dragged out to the outer court and and beaten. There's a lot of similarities, and, and, and we won't go into all of them. But there's a reason I think Luke is doing this, and I think it's important for us today. 
I think Luke does this to point to Jesus and largely to show just how good God is. Just how good God is. Like it's beyond the scope of one person or one place or one scene in the book. It's beyond all of that. It can't, no one place in history or one person in history or one point can like contain the goodness of God. The goodness of God and what he's doing is bigger. The scope is larger, right? And so as we see it from Jesus to Stephen to Paul and beyond, we see like the goodness of God and the story he's writing is beyond our scope. He's good to the world. But it's even more than that. I think Luke shows us these similarities also because I think he wants us to see that God is good, like at that macro world history level, but also that he's good to me and he's good to you and he's good to us and he's good to Paul. Like we got to remember, Paul was there when Stephen was drug out of the town and stoned to death. Remember, they brought their robes and they placed him at Paul's feet while they killed the man. And then Paul went out and persecuted Christians. And Paul, he saw how Stephen walked into death with courage. Like he saw what he said as he was facing death, as he was being stoned. He saw his passion for his own people's salvation. He saw that he walked into death like looking at the glory that was set before him. Like not just to advance the mission of God, not just to to, to make the kingdom known, right? But because what awaited Stephen on the other side of that suffering was better for Stephen too, it was better for the world, it was better for the church, it was better for Stephen, it was better for Paul, it was better. It was good. And Paul witnesses that. And Paul is a witness to how God used that event for the good of the church and for the spread of the gospel to the whole world. He knows how the church scattered from that event, how he went about persecuting Christians, ran them out of Jerusalem, and then they went into Judea and Samaria and to Asia and so forth, spreading the good news of Jesus. And then Paul knows especially, obviously, how God even has used him, right? The chief of sinners, he says, to take the good news to the Gentiles. But not just to use them up for the mission. He's not expendable, right? Paul knows how Jesus saved him on the road. How Jesus, through the cross and resurrection, like set him free from all the lies that Satan would like hold him in, right? That would keep him captive, that would lead him to nothing but death. And he knows how Jesus forgave him and has set him free. I think that Paul has seen too much to believe that God isn't good. So the hook's got to play in his head, I think. Like if God ain't good, I must have missed something. If it's me that's good, I must have missed something. Like we've seen Paul through Acts already. He's demonstrated his love for the mission of God. He does love the mission of God. And we know Paul has a great love for his people, for the Jewish people. He goes to them first everywhere he goes. He declares his love for them in his letters. He loves his people. But we also shouldn't believe that Paul is sacrificing for the mission and decidedly going to Jerusalem to sacrifice for the mission because he believes it rests on his shoulders alone. I don't think that's what Paul believes. Paul doesn't believe the mission rests on his shoulders alone, as if Paul is what's good. No, Paul is seen and he knows that God is good all the time. All the time, you're supposed to say it, God is good. He knows that God is good, that he 
has the long and the whole view of what's good and that he has been good to Paul, right? Paul knows that he's been good to those in his company and that God's been good to the world. And so if God is calling him to sacrifice, it's good for Paul. It's good for the mission of God, but it's good for Paul, right? And this is something, it'll never be at odds. Like whatever's good for the church, whatever's good for the mission of God is going to be good for you. Whatever's good for the church will be good for you. And whatever's good for you will be good for the church. Those things won't be at odds. So if you find them at odds, examine it. I believe this is what Paul believed. That our view is short and it's small and it's broken because of the fall. And God's view is long and it's whole and it's really, really good. I believe that he believes, and you can help me again, that God is good all the time. And that all the time. And that's why he responds to his brothers and sisters in Acts 21, verse 13, like this. He says, it says, then Paul answered, we read this first part, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. I spent some time on that and just read it this week, just reminded me of Romans 8.28. I think that this has to be the very thing maybe that Paul uses himself to fight the lies of the enemy, like the very hook that's in his head. He says, all things work together for the good of those who love him. Romans 8.28. All things work together for the good of those who love him. So I went back and I just started reading that. Romans 8.28 I just I started reading it. It's, it's so good. It's so rich. Romans 8, 18 through 39. And I just want to read it to you because there's no way that I can go and unpack this too. Just listen to what Paul says here. It's the, I, I know that this is the mindset that Paul has and the heart set that he has that makes him able to say, I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Listen to this. Romans 8, 18 through 39. Paul says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That's good news. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good, for those who are called according to his purposes, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might 
Be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? goodness. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Man, look, I brought this up here. That's good. Like, God is good to you, and God is good to the world. God is good to me. God is good to us. And here's what I believe. That God accomplishing his mission through you or through me, through us, is also God accomplishing his mission in you and in me and in us. What often feels like sacrifice is nothing compared to what lies ahead for us. Look, we had dinner for 10 last night. I know that about half of y'all are on Whole30 or keto or gluten-free or some kind of crazy diet, right? Last night at dinner for 10, I watched people forego dessert, and it was a gluten-free dessert. So that's kind of like diet dessert. People were foregoing the diet desserts because of their diet. Right? They're trying their best not to watch. Uh, they were trying their best not to watch as we were like all. Some of us were eating it a little more, you know, whatever, trying to tease them with it. But yeah, they're all watching us trying not to smell the cherry dump cake and how delicious it was. Right? A lot of you are on diets. Maybe you exercise. Why do you do those things? Why do we do those things? That's not meant to be uh, funny. But it is. Yeah. Why do we do it? Why do we sacrifice in that way? Why would we not eat the cherry cake? Right? Why would we diet? Why would we exercise? It's because you believe that what you're sacrificing now is worth less than the reward. Right? Like you've decided that the cake isn't good, that the cake isn't healthy for you, that it might make you a little bit bigger, that it might make you a little bit more tired, that it might make you so many other things. Right? And it's not as good as the healthy body that you desire, the healthy body that you're seeking. So you forego carbs, like all the carbs, from what I can tell, or the gluten, or I don't, Whole30 is so ridiculous. I've done it like three times. It's so hard. You, you forego everything, right? You, go, you forego all those things. You wake up early. You go to the gym. You forego some sleep. And you eat the things that taste like cardboard 
<laughs> because what you're being made into is good. And you believe that, right? At least for a few weeks until it gets too difficult. Listen, it may seem like a sacrifice sometimes, right? It may seem like God's requiring a sacrifice from us sometimes, but God accomplishing his mission through you is God accomplishing something good for you. And God accomplishing his mission through us is God accomplishing something good for us as well. When we're believing something different, when we believe any other lies, when we're hearing something whisper in our ear that says something different, that God's not good, that he doesn't really have your best interest at heart, that he wants something else, he just wants something for himself and he's just using you and you're expendable, that he's distant. When you believe those things, you've got to stop and you've got to remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. Remember what Paul said in Romans. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You've got to remember the gospel. Jesus died and rose again. And he didn't do that. He did it for you. He came for you. And he's proved his goodness for you. So we've got to stop and ask, like, if I'm what's good, if it seems like I'm what's good, I must have missed something. If God ain't good, I must have missed something. Because he gave his son for us. Let's look back at Acts 12, uh, 21, 12 through 14, and we're going to wrap up. It says, they were trying to persuade Paul not to go, and then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Luke says, and since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Since he wouldn't be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. And this is what I want for us at Redemption Church this morning. I want us to walk together like these Christians, like we see these Christians in Acts walking together. Like I want us to be open. I want us to be genuine with one another. I want us to strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. So I want us to be able to share where there's tension and where there's doubts and when we have questions and where we're not sure that the gospel is really true and when God doesn't seem so good. And I want us to be able to speak into that together. I want us to... uh, Speak the gospel into one another's lives. Like when we forget that God is good, I want us to tell one another that God is good all the time. And all the time. Right. And then when you tell tell the person who's in doubt that, I want them to say back to you, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. I want one to remind the other that if God ain't good, I must have missed something. And I want you to find what you've missed in the good news of Jesus Christ together. Like, I just want us to be a family that presses in like that because that's what Jesus is making us into. And it's good. That's a lot better than anything the world has to offer us. Finding that God is good, I want you and I, as disciples who are increasingly submitting all of life to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ, which we say a lot around here. Basically, disciples submit all of their life to Jesus Christ, right? If you, when you find that God is good, when you have doubts, when you have the questions, when you're believing the lies, and the church speaks the gospel back into you and says that God is good, I want you to remember, and I want you to submit, 
like Paul's friends, and say, let the will of the Lord be done. Let the will of the Lord be done because God is good. All the time. That one was unintentional also. That's what submission looks like. When we say submitting all of life to Jesus, that's what we mean. His will is always good for you, and you can trust that. His will is always good for us, and we can trust it. And His will is good for the world, and we can trust Him. And He's worth following no matter what kind of sacrifice it may seem, because what's on the other side of the sacrifice is actually better for us. So this morning, you just got to ask the questions. What lies are you believing? What lies are you tempted with? What sacrifice seems like too much? What aren't you willing to submit to Jesus? We ask that question all the time. We encourage us as disciples to increasingly submit all of life to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ. What areas of life aren't you submitting? Like, have you examined that? Examine it together. Where are you seeking satisfaction apart from God? Where are you seeking goodness outside of God? Ask those questions. And then resist the liar. Resist the liar. Remember that God is good, so you don't have to look for satisfaction anywhere else. If you don't know Jesus, if you haven't decided to follow Jesus, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, I would like you to consider this an invitation. There's nowhere else to look. There's nowhere else to look. Nothing is good like Jesus is good. Nobody's and nothing has ever proven their goodness and their ability and their power and their love for you like Jesus has proven that. He gave his life for your good and he's better than anything else the world has to offer. And so the invitation is standing. Would you turn and follow Jesus? And then for the church, for the Christian, resist the liar. Resist him, Peter says. Remember how much you're loved and how much you're cherished by your father. You're a child of God. Remember how much he loves you and how good he is to you. He gave his son for you. He conquered the grave. He has freed you from a captivity to, lie, to the lies of this world. And he's freed you from all the things that will only lead you to death. And he's beat it, and death doesn't win. That's not the all in all because of Jesus. So my hope is that you'll resist him and you'll let the hook play. You can pick your own, but God is good. And all the time, and I want you to remember that when the lies start being whispered. We're going to move into a time of response like we do each week at Redemption Church. I'm going to pray for us, and uh, it's a good time for you to pray, a time to reflect, a time to think about how God is good and what that means for you. Maybe consider where you're not believing that and how you're not believing that. The band will come up, and they'll lead us in worship through music some more, and it's a time for us to worship God, to praise God together because he's good. It's also t- nice. It's also a time uh, where we give our tithes and offerings. I was going to say there's a table in the back, but it looks like it's missing, which is odd. But there will be a table in the back for tithes and offerings as usual. Uh, that's something we do as an act of worship also, being obedient to how he's called us to give. Um, so you can give there if you're a member of the church. Um, 
And then also every week we take communion at Redemption Church. So there'll be servers on each side. Uh, you can come down uh, these two side aisles. You can take the bread, bread, dip it in the wine or the juice. And as we do this, we're remembering Jesus Christ. We remember Christ and we proclaim him to one another. We're really just doing what we've done all morning, right? Remembering that he is who he says he is. And he's done what he said he would do. And he's proven that he's good to us. And then we're proclaiming it to one another because we are forgetful people and we need to hear it often, right? And so whether you're a member at Redemption or not, we invite you to come and take with us. If you're a follower of Christ, you can come and take and remember and proclaim Christ to one another. If you're not a Christian or not a follower, we ask that you not take, not because we want to single you out or make you feel left out. It's because we are saying that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And if you can't say that, don't say it. But please hear the invitation instead. Hear what we're proclaiming in our actions. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll move into that time. Our Father, I thank you for uh, this time again this morning. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. Like through him, we know how good you are. We know for sure that you're not distant because you are with us. And you came to be with us. And you sent your son to to live and to die and to be buried and to rise again. He ascended to your right hand and he sent his spirit. Holy Spirit, you are with us. You're not distant. You're good. Lord, I thank you that no matter what may come, we cannot be separated from you. And that's good news. You've got us as your children, even death cannot separate us from the goodness of our Father. Lord, I pray this morning that you would just make that known to our hearts. You're good. No matter what it seems like, no matter what sacrifice or suffering or persecution or even just bad day we're having, you're good and you're good to us and everything you're doing is good for us. And you accomplishing your mission in the world is you accomplishing your mission in us. And vice versa. We love you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.